Welcome to Things We Read Instead, a podcast by two distractible nerds plan to read one book and then doing something completely different. Everything that we mention is listed in the show notes. We hope you enjoy. I have learned not to think little of anyone's belief, no matter how strange it be. I have tried to keep an open mind, and it is not the ordinary things of life that could close it, but the strange things, the extraordinary things, the things that make one doubt if they be mad or sane. Very profound. I like that. Hello. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of Things We Read Instead, a podcast by two distractible nerds planning to read one book and then doing something completely different. Uh, I'm Chris Simpson. Uh, if you, if, if by any chance you know me at all, you will know me as the lead singer and history nerd uh, from Metal Band Forlorn Hope. I'm also a lover of fancy horror tabletop games and all sorts of things like that. And I'm Victoria Cargill-James. Yes, posh with the double vowel. <laughs> um, I am not the lead singer of a metal band. Um, I sing in a choir. I sound beautiful. Um, I'm very, very dull and uninteresting. I'm a girly swat. And I read everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> well... Uh, well, well, well that, may, that at least gives us plenty of scope, doesn't it? Yeah. Um... <laughs> So, I mean, I, I see, I would like to be able to say that I read everything and yeah, you know, I love all sorts of stuff, but I clearly fell into middle-aged mandom about 15 to 20 years early and I just read an inordinate amount of military history. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's bits of sci-fi and fantasy and horror fiction sprinkled in there as well. But, you know, gram for gram, it's mostly military history, if I'm completely honest. So what you're telling me is if you were doing the sort of Freaky Friday of your life, both personalities would be the same. Teenage boy and middle-aged man telling you about the Battle of somewhere in 1872. Yeah, pretty much. Well, actually, you know, teenage Chris was not... um, was w- w- was not the military history uh, obsessive that twenties and thirties Chris turned out to be? Well, teenager Victoria was the gothic Victorian novel obsessive that has brought us here today. Wow! Yeah, the the teenage bedroom. I still got photos somewhere. Is all um, pre Raphaelite art, pictures of angels and vampires everywhere. Amazing. Yeah, Incredible. gothic was. Cracking. I mean, that was that's closer to teenage Chris. Teenage <laughs> teenage Chris had just discovered heavy metal and was was <laughs> wanted everyone to know that way too much. <laughs> teenage Chris was quite pretentious. Forty-seven year old Vic still is. Hey, there we go. So, um, what the hell are we doing here, Vic? So, um, we've challenged each other to read each other's favourite books, literature and talk about it because we fight about just about everything in a friendly i think we have spirited debates as this fight is shaping up to be (laughs) (laughs) so what we're going to do is once a month one of us will recommend a book to the other Mm -hmm. and what we expect to happen and i do not know yet whether today has gone like this i have my suspicions 
that I will read everything that I am told to read because I am the said Gurney Swart and Chris will ignore it for something much more interesting. I mean, the podcast is called Things We Read Instead. You know, I like to think of it as a, as a, as a book club and podcast and in the spirit of all good book clubs, <laughs> the book of the week does not get read. <laughs> I, I might have once run the firm book club and the rush to finish the book prior to the meeting that I was chairing was always hellish, which once led me to read the sequel to Handmaid's Tale via audiobook at 2.5 speed in the toilets at work. <laughs> I still hate it. Wow. I mean, as if you couldn't make The Handmaid's Tale more horrifically dystopian. <laughs> Yep, still angry about it. 2.5 speed, just go, for God's sake, get to the end so I can, can go act like I care about this book. Incredible. So, Vic, for our first month, you were choosing the book. I was indeed. And what did you choose? I mean, I know, but tell the people what you chose and tell them why you chose it. Because, of course, I may, may maybe explain the quote that we, heard, that we heard at the top of the episode. Right, so I chose... Dracula by Bram Stoker, um, a gothic horror novel that has stood the test of time. Has Oh, has it? Well, the thing about Dracula is it's never about the vampires. It's never about the vampires. If this was a podcast with Mark Mote, he'd be telling you Jules is not about the shark. I was going to say. Jules is definitely not about the shark. Um, Dracula's not about the vampire. It's about many things. It's about belief, strange, mental illness, and most importantly, as we're doing this, technology. And looking forward in the future. So I would say it's very prescient today because it's looking at the fears about what will come. It is Victorian England. It is all... It's an epistolary novel, which means it's all in letter form or diaries. And... But he's using the phonograph and the typewriter, cutting edge technology at the time to put forward these ideas. And then you have the gothic romance of Dracula. I am stopping myself doing the impression of Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula. I have crossed oceans of time. I have no compunctions about doing impressions and silly voices. <laughs> so that may be my role in this I, podcast. I will, I will, it's early days, I but will still. forget about my, my fear of doing the silly voices on the podcast, and at some point I will. Um, but it is a novel that uh, it informs so many other things. It is so part of the culture. It's been ripped off, it's been remade, it has inspired so many. Some of the inspiration, the novels that have been inspired by it might be better than this novel, but as I'm talking to a history nerd, knowing your history is an important thing to do in these things. Mm-hmm. So I think it has cultural breadth. It might not have any real depth as a novel, but, you know, it's a romp. So... <laughs> is, this, is, it, is it my turn? It is your turn to rant, Chris. So, okay. you, right, first of all... Did you start reading the book? Well, that's an interesting question. So, okay, yes, no, I did. I have tried to read Dracula once before. Uh, It's actually probably about 10 years ago at this point that I previously had a crack at Dracula. It's been gathering dust on my shelf ever since. So I pulled it down from the shelf 
and picked up from where my old bookmark was and had another go. I did not finish it. Now, I now I appreciate that it would be a very sort of hipstery, lazy thing to do to start the first episode off by bashing a, an established classic and trying to make yourself look all edgy and iconoclastic. And that is 100% not what I am about. But listeners, I'm guessing that's what's about to happen. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, I did not finish this and I found it, I found it hard work 10 years ago, I found it hard work now. So I will chuck out the caveat that I agree, before I say all, before I slide this off to the nth degree, I agree with everything you said about how what a cultural behemoth this book is and how massively massively important it is i know all that and i fully acknowledge it so i can now put that to one side and freely slag it off um <laughs> now there was a certain element of reading this where i kind of felt a bit like now obviously it's one of those things that is so culturally pervasive, you really kind of don't need to read Dracula to know about it. Everyone knows what happens in Dracula, really. I need to stop you there. <laughs> no, no, I really do okay. need to stop you okay. there okay. because okay. I know that you and I both share a love of Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. Yes. Which is amazing and so good. heavenly. And oh my God, Gary Oldman, we never write Dracula. Yeah. But. Um, the one thing that is completely incorrect in the, about that film is the word Bram Stoker at the front of the title. Yes, so yes. I, I do think that while there is obviously, you know, vampires, some like, uh, steak heart, uh, 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 fine. But just for, for readers, I feel I should warn you, there is no love story between Dracula and Mina Harker. Just one of the many, many things that could have improved this bloody novel. Um, right, okay, so I, the thing I liked about, so I'll tell you things I liked about Dracula first. Let's start with something good. I, I want positive. Right, okay, I'm going to start with the two things I really liked about it. Um, I will give it points for its epistolary, someone's been at Wikipedia, style. Although I, you know, I I do enjoy the I, I do enjoy how it's put together from you know diary entries and letters. And I think there's I think there's at least one. I think there's a news article in there at some point. There is indeed. Um, and I okay, I, I don't know enough about literature to know how unusual that was. Um, you know, I don't know how innovative that was for Mr. Stoker doing that, but I feel like you could probably draw a line of um, a line of descent from that all the way through to you know your found footage horror movies, your Blair Witches, your Clonefield stuff like that. So that's quite cool. Although I will say that for large parts of the novel, that idea is a little bit half baked. There are 
there are sort of occasional concessions to, you know, maybe writing it a bit like a diary. Occasionally he'll write later. And then, but the actual prose style really does just, does not read like a diary. For most of it, it kind of just read like fairly standard late Victorian prose. But nevertheless. Just to go back on that point, it's definitely not the first novel that's written in letters and diary entries. Mm -hmm. Defoe was doing it before this. Definitely. So, oh, puns. Tick. Um, so it was the getting the ideas of new technology into the public domain mm. rather than the, the way the novel is written itself. And yes, Chris is right. If we've got a mental scoreboard of who's winning on this, I think somewhere. <laughs> the, it, the bits of the novel that are better are when it's probably Mina writing and she's describing conversations with more people because she has a better knowledge of these things than, say, Dr. Seward mm. or these things. So it's a, it is a conceit, but it is an e- does make it easy to pick up and put the novel down or, as Chris did, I mean, put the novel down. As, as proved by the fact that I picked this up after 10 years. Um, and remember, but so... I think on balance, while I think while I don't think the I don't think he was as hundred percent committed to it as uh, as as he might have been. I like that bit. I also really, really, really enjoyed the first act. Basically, basically, pretty much of everything that happens until the the story shifts back to England. Everything that's going on in Transylvania is wonderfully creepy and uh it is one of it wonderfully creepy and gothic um i i i you know that that really you know that dragged me in the first time um i read it and yeah it was just, it was just as good this time i loved i love the opening act however pretty soon after that opening act Honestly, the book really de- does just then degenerate into three or so really dull men talking at each other. Um, you are absolutely bombarded with the most rambling, sermonizing dialogue and internal monologues um there's astonishingly little dracula dracula's kind of there in the first act and then it's just kind of this off-screen presence for nearly the entire rest of the book um and also i have to say apart from one scene and again in the first act apart from one thing which isn't even really a full page's worth it's a painfully unsexy book if i pick up the definitive the definitive vampire novel i want it to be sexy and it's really 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 aggressively unsexy okay you require your vampires to be sexy yes vampires are sexy they should be sexy it's the hill i will die on and vampires are life-bleeding parasites i'm not sure what about that gives you the horn Look, stuff can be two things. They, okay. Um, you know, they are lending parasites, but they're also, you know, they're also seductive and powerful and hot. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm, I'm not the weirdo in this room. Vampires are sexy. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people that will get behind me on this one. Okay. 
the idea of one of us saying I'm not the weirdo in this room is completely incorrect. Okay, all right, yeah, that's yeah, that. well, well, that's well. a doomed argument before yeah. I even start. Um, I have to say also the, the the other thing that just is a struggle. It's interesting that you said some of the best chapters are the ones from Mina. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find Mina to be possible, Mina and sort of the stuff, the way everything kind of coalesces around her, to be the worst written bit of the whole book. She is so insipid and dull. And that is not in a sort, and I'm not pitching this in a sort of, um, internet incel complaining about Daisy Ridley and Star Wars way. I'm compl- My criticism is directed solely at Bram Stoker for this painfully, blandly sexist late Victorian rendering of one where she must be this, oh, this most perfect and virginal princess. And, oh, she's obviously very good and very loyal and stands by everyone. And everyone is constantly, honestly, the number of times when I, the number of times in this book where the phrase, oh, poor, poor Madame Mina, oh, oh, amazing, wonderful Mina, we must, we, we must always look after Mina. Oh no, we cannot possibly tell poor, poor Madame Mina. The word poor, Jesus Christ. It's it, it is so overall. I that the way he has written that character, it not only makes her a bit tedious, it sucks in everything else. It's all the all the other <laughs> characters seem to really get all fussed about is looking after this precious virginal princess. And I just it, it bored me to tears. Well, I think if you take the idea that every novelist writes themselves into their novels, mm-hmm. which I don't think is a a stretch, mm-hmm. I would say that Mina is Bram Stoker. Boring bastard, wasn't it? Sorry, I've gone and broken the Boring sod, wasn't it? <laughs> so he was working as a theatrical agent. He was working for Henry Irving, mm-hmm. the famous Shakespearean actor. Um, who had an ego on him the size of, well, a Shakespearean actor's ego. Um, so he wanted to write, he wanted to get players published. He was poor. He was potentially bisexual or gay. Mm-hmm. He felt very sorry for himself. He felt very underappreciated. He is meaner. And I don't think that our Bram is the best writer the world has ever seen. He had yeah. some cracking ideas. I mean... That is the thing. There are some cracking ideas. Yeah. Um, but I felt sort of generally the experience of reading Dracula when, when as you said, you you're entirely right. In my head, the definitive version of this story is the Four Coppola film, and I love it. It is, it it is just the right level of ham. <laughs> it is not a serious film, but it's just it's fantastic. Um, and I think that in my head is the definitive version. And going back to the source material, it's kind of like um, if you have only played the most recent, most critically acclaimed entry in a video game series. Yeah. Um, and you've played it and absolutely loved it. And you go, oh, but let's say it's number three in the series. Oh, this is great. I want to go back to the start and see what the first one is. And then you play the first one and it's it's a decade or so technology back. It's really janky. All the quality of life updates that you're 
that you take for granted in the new ver the new version are just gone and you're kind of like and you're doing it's like okay i mean i'm glad this was here so that i could have the new one now but my god is it a slog going back i feel like you would feel this way if i because you just started playing um you, you just made, played started playing some of the most recent pokemon games haven't you yes if i put a game boy with a 90s Pokemon Red cartridge in front of you and you had a go of that, I think you would find it a slog. I am very rubbish at all video games, but I do love them. So yeah, I probably will. I know exactly what you mean. This is, to me, you read Dracula 1 to go and hang around the graves, graveyard as a teenager being all deep and meaningful. But also you read it as an adult to have the foundational work of the knowledge that you can have fights with people about the lore of vampires. I think it's an important book to have some knowledge of mm. if you are a horror fan and if you've got anything gothic in you. Yeah. But, and I would hate it for, I do hate the people who have purely loved the full Coppola film telling me about the, how what a romantic film no it's not a romantic book oh. you know please don't do the sexy and romantic are two things and if you're swooning at these things because you know it's a romantic film it is but the book is not you you, you want dracula's head to come off his shoulders <laughs> you know that's he's very unnuanced in the in the book isn't he he is basically he is going back to the kermo jaws comparison he's kind of just a shark what are most big bads usually, to use the video game analogy, when you get to the, the master battle, you know, mm. it usually is your, the biggest villains are never the most nuanced ones. It's, you have, so there is more in the character of Renfield in this book. There's more in other, in other places. Mm. We will, we will talk films about this, but there are usually the side characters usually have more emotion or more interest in them. Because to be that evil, hmm. you must be very boring. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the case. I think. I think. I think all great villains. Are, I think all, all the best villains are the ones that have a bit of nuance and have a little bit of. You have a bit of. Backstory. I mean, you know, if we even if we go back to, you know, we can go back. We can go back to Shakespeare. We can go back to Richard the Third. You know, he he at least. He has, you know, his he has a little bit of sort of tragic backstory and thinks he's been hard done by and all this stuff. He might be wrong. He might be a whiny little sod, but it doesn't. He's not completely one dimensional. You know? that, that is, you, you you said a different thing. You said villain. Come but on. He's, no, no, that's a villain. A villain's a human thing. And he's a monster. Oh, he's oh oh okay. Interesting. He's no longer human. He is the undead. I, 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 I think I think we're arguing of semantics there. I think he, but I think he, I think the vil, the villain's a story device, and he is the villain. Have you met us arguing over semantics? Is definitely <laughs> okay. It's the whole jam. <laughs> this will not be my, this podcast will fall apart if we can't argue over semantics. Yeah, but yeah. No, I do think I think it's a different thing. I think you've got the you've got a villain of the piece, mm. and they are usually more nuanced and interesting. And then there is a generic supernatural evil and he takes up that place you see i think a monster in that sense would be something like you know something something like 
the shark in Jaws, something like, I don't know, Godzilla. Um, it, you know, it, it's something about, I don't think you can get away from the fact that Dracula is also a human or post-human or whatever character. You know, he does... But you sound like you're talking about Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, who's got a backstory and everything else. Um, this Dracula is just a monolith. I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, though, he does... He's in that first act, though. He gets quite chatty. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, he's chatty and he's... And he's, you know, sort of sinisterly friendly, and he gets and he gets sort of angry and het up talking about his history and his, his you know, his people and his clan or whatever. You know, I, I, I think there is more granted, after Transylvania, he is he is, he might as well be a shark. He is just a monster after that point. But I don't think you can get away from the fact that. He, he does actually have some sort of human-ish character in the first So act. I think what you're saying is the problem with this book is that the woman is uninteresting and a non-character. Mm. We don't get enough of the interesting evil foreign prince yeah. and we don't get enough of the interesting foreign doctor but the three privileged white men are the main stars of the story, and they're just dull as ditch water. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not sexy enough. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Three posh boys on their own generally isn't. Right. Yeah. So I think my conclusion would be, while recognising its importance and cultural significance and, you know, fully acknowledging that without it wouldn't have a lot of stuff I enjoy... Purely on a reader enjoyment level in 2024, Dracula sucks. Oh my god! I should have seen that coming. I, I, oh, I'm so pleased with myself. Oh, good lord! Uh, oh, I apologise. I don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm just gonna say, if if that sort of thing annoys you, unsubscribe now. There's gonna be a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretending like I won't join in, but I'm so going to. Mm-hmm. Right, so now that you've um, told us about your feelings for Dracula, what did you read instead? Well, brace, brace yourself for a top-level professional link here. So from one blood-sucking creature to another, I read a book called Mosquito by did Roland see, White. Did you see what he did there? Oh, uh, my. Uh, did you actually work on that? No, pure yeah. pattern. It's definitely not here in my notebook. <laughs> definitely is here. It's just professionalism. I can't believe I can't believe people aren't paying us to do this. Anyway, um, but so it, yes, I I read Mosquito by Roland White, which actually has nothing to. It's a completely spurious link because it has nothing to do with real world mosquitoes that drink blood. This is about the. Well, this is ostensibly about the Second World War Allied. Allied fighter bomber plane of the same name, the de Havilland Mosquito. Now, I tell you that. I tell I tell you this is a book about. Now, Vic, I've got this book in front of me. Actually, tell, for the listeners' benefit, I'm just going to drop this book on the table right now. We apologise for any human damage caused by Chris <laughs> dropping that book on the table. So, it is a a 
massive sort of doorstop of a hardback copy. It is, it is a hefty looking tome. You could whack a rat to death with, death with it. You really could. So, so if I were to, if, if, if I were to show you this and tell you, oh yeah, it's about this is a massive thick tome about one specific um, Second World War aeroplane. I think you would think I was very much taking you into spannery middle-aged man te territory, yeah? No. Well, see, I, I have to go. I have hold of the book about the RAS legendary wooden wonder and its most extraordinary mission. And I'm I'm kind of putting it on the chair next to me, so hopefully Chris will forget it when he goes home. Because <laughs> I've got into a bit of a... It's not his fault, he's just taking credit. A bit of a World War Two stint at the moment, so that's... That, that's it, it's doing things. Yeah. Okay, so... Why? But, Why did you read that rather than Dracula? Because it's absolutely magnificent. All right, so... Um, so a li little bit of context. Um, the mosquito um, was an astonishing bit of uh, bit of engineering uh, by the aircraft company de Havilland during the Second World War. As Vic said, this plane was called the Wooden Wonder. It was a fight. It was a initially a bomber and became a fighter bomber. Took on basically every role that an airplane can take on. That was pretty much made almost in, unlike your Spitfires and your Hurricanes and your whatevers. It was pretty much made entirely of wood. It's plywood and balsa wood wrapped around two Rolls-Royce Merlin engines. And surprisingly, when you do that, it goes pretty fast. <laughs> so that great advantage of the Mosquito was it was faster than pretty much everything else going at the time. Um, so nothing could really catch it. So it was it was developed as this incredible precision bomber. Um, made all these astonishing raids on um gis on gestapo uh hqs and prisons throughout europe i mean it's a massive story but it's an amazing bit of engineering i picked this up from the de Havilland museum uh down near london where they have uh where they have three of them on display it's a brilliant museum i urge you to go but circling circling back this is not just this is not a massive technical tome about aviation history and horsepower and all sorts of boring plainy stuff it is the story of the mosquito and it takes you through from its inception to um perhaps its most significant raid which was the raid on the gestapo hq in the center of copenhagen in 1945 operation carthage but in taking you on that trajectory, you, it, it is constantly tying in the story of the Danish resistance, of the SOE, of all these amazing... Stop, stop, stop. Ooh, SOE? Special Operations Executive. Um, is this the forum of the SAS? No, different sort of oh. thing. So, Explain um, to me, no acronyms, please. So, so the SOE, um, so, so the SOE was the. Yeah, okay, I'm probably going to get some. I haven't done a ton of breath on explaining what the SOE is, so I'll probably get a bit strong. But um, so the SOE was quite famously uh, created as this government organization with the brief to quotes set Europe ablaze. Um, it was the it was the Allied sort of contact point with resistance movements. Um, resistance movements and saboteurs and all those sort of people throughout 
occupied Europe during the second during the Second World War. Yeah. And so they were constantly you know, supplying resistance movements, dropping agents into um it dropping agents into allied countries. Um some of the, all, all the very famous um spies of the Second World War, you know, you know Savos and people like that are all all, all SOE people. Okay. Um the the scrappy little brother of MI6, if we want to put it that way. And I do love a scrappy little Oh, it's very scrappy. It's a very scrappy story. So it is as so yeah, so this is as much a book about SOE and the Danish resistance and the and the re and the realities of life under the under Nazi occupation and the sort of the the nuance of all of that and the political implications of resistance in the sort of end game period of the Second World War, it it is it brings together this incredible cast of characters that are so vividly drawn, and it is written um, it is written like the abs it is written like the one of like the best of thriller novels. Um, honestly, you it. You will be on the edge of your seat reading this. Your heart will be in your throat. It is fantastic. Um, it, it absolutely thrilled me. It's one of the best. It's one of the best bits of popular history I have ever read. And also, um, it taught me some amazing facts about plywood that I never knew was so. I never knew was so interesting. Do you want give me a oh, no, fact? No, no, give me one thousand fact. No, you got you, you got I'm not. I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to spoil the plywood. You got You got to read the book to get plywood. Yeah, this is what you're doing. You're slowly turning all my Waterstone recommendations into military history books. I have spotted this. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying that I might be trying to do the exact same thing with this podcast and just turn it into a military history podcast. But I'm not saying I'd feel bad if that happened. Well, it, it's not happening because I'm really not good with dates and geography. So that makes talking to me about battles. Just fine. There's lot. There's lot. You don't. There's lots of lovely maps in the front. Um, where um, this is not the time for me to say maps don't make much sense to me, but See? hey ho, yeah, okay. you know, look, that, that that's where you live. See, yeah, that's I know where that we are. Bit. <laughs> I can get home, I know where I live. Where's Denmark? That's all you need to know. There's us, there's Copenhagen. That's all you really know. You need right, to know so, the this. Okay, excellent. Right, fine. So, yeah, um, okay, it's, it's completely unrelated to Dracula, apart from my amazing link. The, the pun, yeah, but um, that is Mosquito by Roland White. It is one of the best um, history books I've read in a very long time. I read an awful lot of them. It's just come out. Um, even if you're not into uh, military history or World War II history in particular, I think you'll find something to really enjoy in there. I'm, I'm gonna potentially have a go, right? So, if you had have stayed on topic, mm-hmm. so your problem with. Dracula was, it wasn't sexy. It was not. So I've got some things that you, Dracula, Dracula adjacent, vampire adjacent things that mm-hmm. you could have read instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the first one, the vampires are not sexy. <laughs> okay. Um, but the lead character is. Hit me. So my first one is my favourite book of all time. Oh, okay. So it, we're, we're, we're going there. Yeah, Straight no, off the bat. Right. I don't think we should say to people that our favourite books are something that is not accessible. I think your favourite book is the book you go back to again and again. Mm-hmm. And the book that I go back to again and again is Salem's Lot by Stephen King. I think I've read it about 15 times. Um, and it is the story of a writer called Ben Mears who grew up in small town Maine. It's a Stephen King novel. Who knew that could happen? Um, and he loses his wife in a car in a motorbike accident and goes back to that town to write, but something evil has come to Salem's lot. 
And what has come to sell like is a big bad vampire who turns the whole town to vampires, and Ben is forced to fight these with a small boy. And it's an unconventional weapon. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's stronger, but it's not that sturdy. Um, Mark called Mark, and Mark is an only child, and he's a loner, and he likes monsters, and he likes reading, and he's very intelligent. And again, with the it's not about the shark, it's not about the vampires. What it's about is the nature of evil, whether evil is the monster or it is humanity looking away and not doing good things or the right things, and what is the nature of faith. And by faith, I don't mean God and Christianity, but your faith in yourself and in your fellow man. Mm. And it's brilliant. It's, the vampires are not nice, and they they make it gross and vile. And some of the characters, there is uh, child abuse in there. There's all sorts of horrible sexual stuff. But the character of Ben has a relationship and that's kind of hot. And he's written as kind of hot. I think it's Stephen King's wish list of I'm a hot writer. <laughs> um, but it's it's a great book. So that would be my, I press it on everyone. I've got a copy somewhere. I've got a copy on a Kindle. The kids have got copies. I am warping people with this book. It is just the best. Well, that's quite a pitch. It is the pitch. Fair enough. I have read, I have read precious little Stephen King in my time. Um, in fact, have I ever actually read a whole Stephen King book? No, I don't think I. I think I had a crack at Pet Cemetery when I was about fifteen, and that was maybe about it. But um, and what did you think of Pet Cemetery? Well, it didn't hold my attention when I was fifteen. But then again, okay. Well, I think we might revisit that at some point. But it was his, it was his second novel, so there are and it is a bit bloated in places, mm. but it's brilliant. And I love the fight between good and evil, and I love the it's a hunt. Mm. They hunt these things down. Okay. So it's okay. it's I don't think you'd have any of the issues that you had with Dracula. The second one, now we got the sexy vampire time. Sexy. <laughs> um, interview with the vampire by Anne Rice. Oh. So we are all about the start who is a six-foot blonde man, not Tom Cruise, <laughs> and Louis and Claudia and Armand and the Theatre of Vampires, and it is fantastic. We are... T- yeah, it, it is... Set- and Rice wrote some smart. She wrote some real smart, and she wrote some hardcore smart. Um, but she... This is... It is queer. It is sensual. It is just fantastic there's loads of them in the series it goes from this to the vampire stats to the queen of the damned they get worse they're not good they're not sustained but the first one is an absolute classic mm-hmm. the neil jordan film with tom cruise five foot six as the blonde or vampire stat it's worth a watch i do love the film i, I have I haven't, I haven't read the book but i have watched the film and it's a great laugh um and it's got a, long, a young Kristen, what's her, what's her name? Oh, um... It's uh, the one who's married to Jessie Plemons now when she was in Elizabeth Tower. Yeah, her who's in, her out of Mary Antoinette. Yeah. And Spider-Man and, yeah. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, I barely even got IMDb open. Yeah, so... Oh, this is some top quality broadcasting. This is, this is doing so I think well. I might be one for the blooper roll, especially yeah. just slapping the phone down over us. So... Great, but I also love the sort of English language semi-debut of Antonio Banderas' Armand who wears some very long nails and does all the sexy thing. Um, So that's great. Mm -hmm. Right, so now we've gone from my favourite to the sexiest 
Yeah. To let's do sci-fi alternative history. I'm going to Anno Dracula by Kim Newman. Oh, okay, okay. So this is Dracula comes to the court of Queen Victoria in the 1800s and wants to get into the aristocracy, fight them all, and turn into his new realm. Fantastic. It is alternative history. It is, I say fan fiction in the best way. Mm -hmm. It is daring do. It is rage. It is wonderful it is just it's a, one of those you go on for a ride you either take to it or you don't but you've got a top-hatted evil vampire swanning around victorian london and he's unstoppable so yeah that's fantastic oh, well i need a piece of that that's my that, i mean I, I think that might be my favorite recommendation so far okay right you brought you like sci-fi and fantasy i do so have you read game of thrones oh yes did you know that George R. R. Martin wrote a vampire novel? George R. R. Martin. <laughs> I, mean, I, did, I did not. George R. R. Martin. I, I mean, g- g- given how long it takes him to write novels, I assume he wrote. I assume he started Game of Thrones when he was about what thirteen, something right. like that. I've got no idea. I can't tell you. I did not like Game of Thrones, the TV series. Any of it? Right. So I watched the first season mm-hmm. and was like, oh, this is okay, but this just feels very Shakespearean. I'm not sure I care. There is a, you will have to tell me the names of these people, mm-hmm. but there is the blonde lady. Cersei Lannister. Not the, Lena Headey. No, the so. girl, child. Amelia Clark. Oh, Daenerys. 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 Yeah, she meets a man who likes horses, who's Jason Carl, Bauer. <laughs> and he does something bad to her from behind and I was that bored I was like oh well, that's in Malta I've been there I can <laughs> oh my god I mean that is a um, well that's a selfie location isn't it yeah oh, so. um, <laughs> okay um, I, I, I don't think the rest of it's going to be for you then well really. it wasn't um, a colleague of ours asked me to watch it so we could keep up and talk about it and then I got to second or third season there's a young boy, he's now king, he's vile and a sadist. Joffrey. Mm-hmm. And there's some young people being made to do things, and he gets them hit with big sticks. Yeah, that's not very nice. And there's a tall man behind him who mm. was in a lot of very good English comedy in the 90s. Rory. He's lurch out of Hot Fuzz. Oh, him! Yeah, yeah. Hands. Yeah, yeah. So he's standing behind him with a big sword, and I can't for the life of me understand why he just didn't wield the sword and end the thing then. And I, that was when I had to go, I can't watch this because there's a man with a sword and he's doing this. I mean, it is sort of, he is, he is very much his henchman. His, his whole job is kind of to not kill him. I don't care. He should right. have. I mean, right, so anyway, so George R. Martin um, wrote a vampire novel called Fever Dream, uh-huh. which is set in deep South America on a steam but again, period, he saw. Oh, ah, okay. We are. We're dealing with slavery, we're dealing with plantations, Ooh. it's dealing with all of those things. All right, okay, okay. And it gets nominated for Best Vampire Novel. It's hallucinatory and very weird and very good. So that's one if you want something a bit different. So bold, intriguing. Bold. And then the historian by Elizabeth Kostova. So the historian is a book about a woman going to hunt a vampire because she finds out that there is vampire hunting in her family 
but it is written. You don't know what the vampire is. You just know something is out there trying to get them. It is everything that Dracula is not. Mm-hmm. It is creepy. It is sexy. It's all subtlety and sinister and wonderful. And I've reread it a hundred times, so that's great. So that's what I would say you could have read instead. Mm, I like it. But like obviously, it. so you think they're Anno Dracula? I, I do. I mean, I do like the sound. Interestingly, I mean, can I can I chuck in some supplementary uh, always things to read on it? So you know, one of so I, I noted down a few ideas, and one of them I probably wasn't even going to mention because um, I thought that's a bit too niche. That, but now you've got to mention Kim Newman. I'm actually going to chuck in another Kim Newman Dracula book, and in fact, a Kim New- a Kim Newman Dracula series. Well, there are four of them. Go on. And I bet I, I okay. So I am plumbing the depths of nerdery here, because these are book. This is a series of books that was published that started in 1989, published by Black Library, and these are books set in the Warhammer fantasy universe. I don't think the depths of nerdery can get any deeper, people. We are we've hit Warhammer on the first episode. We have, haven't we? Yeah, I have. Re- I have read. I read quite a lot of Black Library in my teens. That 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 was what Teenage Chris was doing. There was a lot of Warhammer involved. Um, but yeah, um, so Kim Newman wrote a uh, series of novels for the for the for Black Library, um, the Vampire Genevieve novels. Um, and they're great. They're, they are twisted and eldritch and dark and, and sexy and just a, a tremendous romp through right. and through. For people who don't understand horror the way we do, yeah. describe eldritch to people. Um, if, it's, if, if it's got tentacles and is messing with your mind. <laughs> yeah, Eldritch is the stuff that you don't know about. It's the creepy, it's the uncanny. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's got that element as well as tentacles and yeah. mind control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With it, yeah. H.P. Lovecraft, he's very Eldritch. Yeah. Everyone's favourite Eldritch race. <laughs> yeah, the problematic H.P. Lovecraft is his full title. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I didn't think I mentioned Vampire Genevieve, but that but since you brought up Kim Newman, <laughs> I, I will. The Anno Dracula series is a series. Um, yeah. He also did the Anno Dracula and the Bloody Red Baron. Oh my god! Yes, yes. And there's a Japanese anime one as well, so um, they are fantastic. Okay. So um, another, one other vampire novel for you, and again, I'm, I'm actually going. I'm going back. I'm going back further than Bram Stoker because you know what? While Dracula is the thing that you know, holds the massive place in the cultural firmament, pretty much everything, all the vampire stuff in there, that's all Bram Stoker drawing on stuff that came before. Yeah. Bram Stoker is not the original. There's not much in that book that's original. What do you think is? Um, oh, I'm not. I'm, oh, it's a, it goes back much further than uh, it goes back much further than that. I mean, you know, you got you've got medieval sort of revenant beliefs and stuff like yeah. that and then you have all the stuff with Byron and Polidori then when it actually gets into literature um, so, so there's, there's an excellent podcast um, there's an excellent episode of the Your Dead to Me podcast all about 
vampire, uh, all about vampires in gothic literature, which is well worth 45 minutes of anyone's time. Um, but I want to fly the flag for Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu from 1872. Oh, you, 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 weirdo. Because I'm looking at you going, he's either going to go with Carmilla or he's going to go with The Vampire by Polidori, which is sitting over there. I could have gone for Varney the Vampire, but I believe that's about <laughs> 60,000. I believe that is a mighty term and he was paid by the line or something. So yeah. it's, uh, no, yeah, Car- but Carmilla is, uh, is blessedly short and, uh, blessedly short, um, and very sexy. Um, amazing bit of, uh, ve- amazing bit of, let's, let's be honest, very gay vampire, um, vampire novelry from 1872. And we are here for that. Mm. Okay. Big, and also, it also takes place in, Germany slash Monday Poland, big vibes of big sort of setting vibes of all of the Hammer horror Dracula films, which you know all those vampire films, which all which all seem to be going on in Germany. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love, I yeah. love that. There's also there's a really good new sort of um, audio play version of Carmilla, which is on uh, Audible at the moment, which has got David Tennant and lots of other lovely people in it. That's tremendous fun. Um, okay. On now. <laughs> From a sort of stylistic point of view, yeah, cool. So we were talking about um, the epistolary found footage style of Bramster of Dracula and how it's a little bit half baked. Yeah, a novel that does that far better. Okay, um, is a is a novel from two thousand and six by Matt Bro- by Max Brooks. This is World War Z. Now. Anyone who has who is tuning out, who is mentally tuning out because you've seen the movie with Brad Pitt, I understand where you're coming from, but the book could the film could not be further from the book. So I am mentally tuning out and I've not seen the film because it looked terrible. But I've got some some standards. Yeah. The, the, and you know what? Completely agree. The film sucks. Actually, the final act is quite claustrophobic and creepy. That's quite well done. But as a whole, the film sucks. But it bet oh, the title is the only thing it shares with right. the the title and that there are zombies in it is the only thing it shares with the book. The premise of the book essentially is that we are in a we are post zombie apocalypse. This has happened. This is this cataclysm has happened and been sorted out. And it is essentially it is a collection of um, it is a collection of statements in various forms from different people of their experiences during the during these few years of the zombie apocalypse it is stunning it is so visceral so upsetting it puts you right in the moment it is it it oh it it I had to put it down several times. It made me shudder that much. Um, and there is a re- and there is a brilliant variety in the statements of that. I absolutely love it. There is one in particular, which I won't spoil, but there's a statement by an astronaut who was basically on the International Space Station at the time it all kicked off. And that one ends with just the most... Just It ends with the gut punch that you will have to go and you watch an episode of the clangers or something to cheer yourself up again it's never the clangers it's always the flops <laughs> however we watch clangers and we eat flops we watch flops and eat clangers i don't really know Ooh. it's just yeah right <sighs> so that's if you want to read what could you have watched instead oh. so i've got a list of five hit me 
Now, I've not got any Hammer Horror in here. I mean, there. Are, I mean, there's so many. And I've not got any of the original Universal classics. Fair enough. And I've not gone sexy. Okay. Because I'm not sure that sexy vampires translate on screen. Oh wow! I think I think sexy is more in your head than. You cannot tell me that Monica Bellucci, <laughs> rising out of the bed in her spangly belly dancer outfit, is not okay. Chef's kiss. <laughs> it is Chef's kiss, but then afterwards, when it's the two leg, two arms everywhere, and then stuck into something, yeah, no. So I've gone. I think I'm just more. I think I'm just more comfortable with being left with slightly confused feeling, feeling aroused and being confused about it as well. Yeah, I don't think confusion is arousing. So yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just happy. To, I'm just happy for the two things to happen at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you're you're in that grey area. Great, right? So I've gone with Go uh, near dark. Mm-hmm. Have you seen okay, near, dark? The near dark? Near dark is in 1980s vampire film with Bill Paxton in it. Okay. Lance Henriksen, um, female director. Name escapes me. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Right. So it was directed by 1987 horror film directed by Catherine Bigelow. It is dark. It is dirty. These vampires are not nice. It's filthy and grotty and vile and it's a great action movie from the 80s. So it's not your usual thing. Okay. Other one, again, which is not Sexy Vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 Days of Night. Again, never seen it. With, with... This happens an awful lot in mine and Vic's conversations where Vic will go, oh, look, film? And I will go, I will look shamefaced and go, no, I haven't seen it. And Vic will go, oh, <gasps> And then we're not going to do the classic films that I've not seen and just can gloss over, so we won't do that. That's fine. Days of Night is a 90s, early noughties vampire, Josh Hartnett, Danny Houston. It is a town, I think it's Alaska, where darkness comes and is there, and the vampires. It's not a happy film. <laughs> it is not like my next recommendation, The Lost Boys, okay. um, which I can still quote. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it is. It is not that. It is the dark opposite. It is bleak. It is miserable. It was way before its time. It's fantastic. It's proper nerve jangling horror, as opposed to Corey Haynes' comic T-shirts, banging soundtrack, and killing vampires by stereo. That is the Lost Boys. Amazing. So I think the Lost Boys is one of my favourite films. We have posters up for it. It is that thing. If it got me at the right age, I was. About 12 when I first saw it, before the certificate. Yeah, it was a 15 certificate, couldn't really see it, saw it. It was great. I still quote bits of it um, every day. Just every time somebody annoys me and I get my chance to go back, I have Keith Sutherland's voice in my head going, my turn. <laughs> it, it's great. Um, then the one that Chris is going to hate. The one I'm going to hate? Yeah. Okay, is is it the little vampire from two thousand and one or whatever it is? The fellow, the the kid from Jerry Maguire, Jonathan Lipnicki. <laughs> That's really his name. Go on, what's your what's your terrible choice then? No, it's not a terrible choice. It's a brilliant film, but it's Twilight. Uh, I love it. I I. 
honestly, I, I struggle to have I, I struggle to have strong feelings about it. This it, at this point, I certainly don't love it. I I don't understand. It, it's wonderful. I don't understand. So yes, it's all passing and Kristen Stewart, and yes, Bella Swan does require her head to be slammed in a car door and put time until she sees sense, and. It is just moody and atmospheric and haunting and wonderful. But it's moody and atmospheric and haunting and wonderful in a way that the rest of the films and the books are not. Oh, okay, so we're, on, we're only talking first one. We are talking the first one. Not the thing you don't get Michael Sheen doing his crazy laugh. Well, I... <laughs> Go and do that again. I don't actually think that's what this sounds like. It's just been a while. See, I, I, I have a, I have a, a large... Bought in my heart for Michael Sheen and all his guises. I mean, who two dozens? Um, we're gonna get, we're gonna get to Michael Sheen. We're, we're gonna get to Michael. We'll Sheen. get there. Put my suggestions in. Um, but it is just fantastic. It shows a lot of stuff about coercive control. Obviously, it was written as a purity novel, so some Mormons wouldn't do rude things with their boyfriends. It's awful, but it's pretty, and it's got a cracking soundtrack, including loads of Muse and Radiohead. It's wonderful. It's it's a sit there with a cup of tea and watch pretty boys rip each other apart and then suffice the pieces. It's cracking. And obviously the best vampire film is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. I can forgive Keanu's London accent. Dude, I'm going to Transylvania. <laughs> My dearest Mina. It's it's, not, it's, it's like, quantum baby. It is quantum baby. Um, we need to stop referencing other podcasts. It's not good business practice. <laughs> so it's he's wonderful. Um, he is. No, he is because Jonathan Harker's Gianni Nani. Gianni. You don't have to convince me about any part of this film being yeah. wonderful. I'm fully on board. Wesley from the Princess Bride is Lord Arthur Howard. <laughs> Yes, I've never even thought of that. It's one of H.D. Grant's breakout roles as Dr. Stewart. Yeah. And obviously Anthony Hopkins is just deciding to chew the scenery. Oh, I mean... Abraham Van Helsing. Honestly, I, I mean, every, honestly, I think that Ford Coppola does for that book what... Um, and I, you know what, people, people are going to yell things at me for this, but I think he did for that book what Peter Jackson did for Tolkien really really <laughs> edited, edited the hell out of it and really elevated some bits that are a slog in their original form and i'd say the elevation of van helsing in particular is just brilliant a lot of van helsing's lines are verbatim from the book yeah but it's the <laughs> it's the hutzpah of it you know no no at no point does jonathan Seward said oh yes and then professor van helsing came in and acted like an absolute weirdo <laughs> and shout and shouted at me and was really inappropriate and now we are going to have a moment of silence for how sexy gary Oldman was in that film oh i mean it says a lot for and I'm gonna I'm gonna make Victor a brew at me now, but it says a lot for what a good actor Gary Oldman is that he's that sexy in that sort of middle bit when he's in London looking young. When Gary Oldman himself looks like a freaking geography teacher. <laughs> Do you know that? Actually, my geography teacher looked better than Gary Oldman does. He just looks like some 
boring dude. My geography teacher had the world's weirdest facial hair. He had a full beard, but no moustache. So no. Oh, very sort of Amish. Yes. Slave driver kind with, of look. With full Amish look. Amazing. With, and he had the full tweed and leather elbow patches. So Gary Elman is hotter. Um, and I can fight you on this, as a lot of women can't. But, uh, yeah, no, as Prince of Vlad. Ugh. In his grey suit. In his grey suit. With the hair. With the hair, yeah. Exquisite. He, he is pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty. Yeah, sexy vampire brides, people running around mazes in a, in a, in a sheer orange curtain. Oh, having sex with werewolves. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it is. It is. A, my own, I have one issue with the film is I'm not too fond of Sadie Frost as Lucy Westenra. Uh, fair enough. I think I think she I think she performs the role that they clearly wanted Lucy to perform. Yeah, and obviously she is a bit of a nymph in the book as well. So it, it does work out. And I do like the blue for lady bit where the in the in the cave cave crypt. That's the word. Yes. Um, I think she does that bit brilliantly. I think she's a very good evil vampire. Mm -hmm. Less so much of the pure white maiden running around trying to get married. Silly friend. Silly friend, yes. Who, Go get, on. who gets killed and punished for her silly for her silly frivolities? Not like sweet Renona, sweet Winona Ryder, who actually doesn't. Actually, that's another good thing about it is that they don't just kind of live happily ever after. I like I like the ending much more. I like the you know yeah. the, I, I I like the ambiguity of that ending. I like that you know they put a bit more depth onto well all of the characters really. Um, it's just great. Okay, any other films that you would recommend? Oh, hell yeah. Well, I mean, if we're... Okay, so if we're talking sexy vampires... Oh, where we go? Gird your loins, people. I'm taking you... I'm bringing you a, a double bill of naughty's goth teen um, <laughs> sexy vampires. Both... Two films, both starring Kate back in sale. Oh. I'm giving you Van Helsing and I'm giving you Underworld. And I will, and I will, this is another hill I'm willing to die on. They're both magnificent. I love, I, I mean, Van Helsing in particular, for my money, it doesn't put a foot wrong. It is the most exceptional, exceptional creature feature romp. Um, Richard Roxburgh is just the most incredible scene during Dracula ever with the best hair. Um, okay, right. Sales, it, it's funny, it looks brilliant, and just about everyone in that film is obnoxiously sexy. Well, let me just give you... This is where I can go to town on this. Well, I have some issues with Van Helsing. Okay? Go on. Are you ready? And I'm right on all points. I mean... No, I am. Yeah. Nice to be seen. No, I am. Go on. Go on. I think you're going to agree with me on all points. One, mm -hmm. they unnecessarily changed Abraham Van Helsing's name to Gabriel Van Helsing. Why? It was out of copyright at the time. Don't even start on me. Pointless. I mean, I mean, they all. I mean, they also make make. Dracula best friends with Frankenstein. I really didn't have a problem with that. And they're clearly trying to set him up as some sort of avenging Jesus figure. So maybe that's the idea of calling him Gabriel. And actually also, they also say that he's um, forgotten his... There's a whole plot point that he's forgotten his past. So maybe he's got a new name. Maybe he's forgotten that he used to be Abraham. Maybe it's a different Van Helsing. Maybe because it, it's not necessarily 
going on in the same continuum. I hope you enjoyed all of those reaches by Christopher Simpson. Um, secondly, and you've just mentioned how fabulous Richard Rockford's hair is oh. in it. Just his hair. I mean... It, you can tell how 90s it is. He's wearing those hair pumps. It's terrible. He's not got, 90s, it's 2000s. Well, it's, well, okay, you can tell how awful it is because you've got hair clamps in. I don't see... I think you're just looking for things to No, I don't there. think sexy, sexy vampire men are just going to hang on, where's my hair clip? I have never no, I, I have never noticed or been bothered about this. Next okay, point. like, next point, and my most important point that I say every time to the upset of my family when we watch it, because we watch it quite often, because mm-hmm. it is great. I have one problem with Kate Beckinsale in this film. There are, I will not accept any problems. No, you will, you will understand. You will understand. Ooh, I'm not sure I will. You will. She's in Transylvania. Yeah. They are fighting vampires. Yeah. They can only come out when there is cloud cover. Uh-huh. She's got fake tan on. She's got a tan. She's bronzed to hell. I don't think that's true. That is true. I... I, 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 I think I, I think you, I, I think that's sort of like complaining. Uh, that, that's like complaining. Why does her makeup look so good, or why is her hair so good? You've got to for for a top level hammy B movie like this. Got to allow a certain level of artistic license to the makeup department. You've never obviously watched Saving Private Ryan with you, where I complained about how they got toothpaste at the front line. So don't start. I mean, you probably did have toothpaste. They were incredibly well supplied during the <laughs> invasions. There are things to complain about. There are far bigger things to complain about in Saving Private. Ryan, the bloody beach defences are pointing the wrong way in the first scene. <laughs> Just, we can't, I, can't, I can't private Ryan. I can't, I can't do it. I can't <laughs> do it myself. So anyway, uh, Van Helsing, but, I agree with you. I agree with you on so many things. It's hilarious. Yeah. Robbie Coltrane voicing Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, sorry, at the beginning. Yes. Fantastic. Is that Robbie Coltrane? That's Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think I could love that film more. Yeah, I do. Um, it's... Van Helsing himself, played by Huge Ackman. Huge Ackman. The biggest of Ackmans. Yes. Um, it's back when he had a sense of humour. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, it's a nod and a wink. He's enjoying the really bad extensions. He's going for it. I feel like Hugh Jackman has always been quite aware of the fact that he started <laughs> his entire career is based on playing a pointy-haired comic book man <laughs> with nice hands. You know, yeah, I do, but I think as the films got darker and Logan got darker, you know. But this is oh, Logan. No, sorry. that's a tangent we don't need to get on. But this is this is it's camp as hell. Yeah. David Wenham as Carl. <laughs> well, technically, I'm just a friar. <laughs> is, there, is there a better pickup line in any movie, people? <laughs> well, it worked for me, but it, works for works for David Wenham. Yeah, it worked for David Wenham, um, but also the incomparably sexy and the love of my life, Alan Armstrong. <laughs> Good old Javert. Oh, I mean, he's right. He was not Javert. He was the innkeeper. Oh, you're right. He's not Javert. Oh, that's so Roger you're... Allen. Thinking of Roger Allen. Who's the other Allen, one in my life? Allen. That's yeah. like... I mean, to be fair, Roger Allen. Though. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. He's great. <laughs> Elderly British gentlemen who do Shakespeare and I mean, what's, yeah. what's the line from uh, Cabin Fresh? <laughs> Man who sounds like Stephen Fry's favourite uncle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a serious tension. Yeah, we so... agree. Matt Helsing is yeah. a masterpiece. Underworld. Underworld. It's not as good as Van Helsing, but this one, Underworld was. Is that the one with Michael Sheen in it? Yes. In- you know what? Actually, that, you know what? In this, in the Gary Oldman tradition, it's the only time Michael Sheen's been 
properly sexy. I'm you see, sorry, he plays an angelic librarian in Good Omens. He's sexy, believe me. I think he's adorable in Good Omens, but sexy he ain't. Um, okay, we have to like we have to. I have to put a marker down right now that sexy is personal. I, <laughs> I mean, all of this is personal. It's all subjective. You, you can't, you can't. If it was objective, then we could just sit around a podcast and go, yes, this is mathematically the best book. There's no point reading any others. Okay, so we're going with sexiest vampire now, then we'll solve this trivial argument. Oh, okay. All right. Um, actually, can I just can I finish my screen suggestions? Yeah. So, un- so Underworld, I won't, I won't go into too much, but it was, it was a very formative film for me in the noughties. Um, it's just... Deep sigh, people. Deep it, is, sigh. it is absolute peak of that sort of gothy aesthetic that was really big in a lot of noughties films and Kate Beckinsale and Skin Tight Leather. What more do you want, guys? Um, you were talking about um, you were talking about Hammer. Yeah. Horror films. There are so many. There are so many Hammer films with Dan Basman. You could kind of just take your pick. And I feel bad not suggesting one that's got Christopher Lee in it, but also at the same time, it's Christopher Lee. Pickle. He doesn't need my help to suggest that greatness. Um, I would recommend seeking out Twins of Evil. Okay. Um, which is a tremendous, another brilliant Hammer film set in sort of 18th century Germany. Um, it's got Peter Cushing strutting around as this incredible puritanical witch hunter chap. Um, people getting burned at the stake. There's a, there is a, a big bad vampire who is kind of just causing problems, but isn't really the focus of the story at all. He kind of just pops in, causes some problems, <laughs> messes with these local twins. So basically, um, what it is is a pesky vampire? Yeah, he's a pesky vampire. Yeah, and basically, it's um, and yeah, and sorry, folks, right? To, you know, pair of twins. One of them is one of them gets fat. One of them gets vamped. The other, the other doesn't standard twin shenanigans there's an amazing decapitation scene right at the end which is so so you know sort of beautifully practical effect it's so clearly been like sculpted out of ham or something twins of evil is a romp um and in the world turning to the world of television now, ob- I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, watch all of Buffy if you've never watched it. Um, oh, see, I, I only got halfway through. I only got halfway through Buffy. Wh- where's halfway? So, it was it was the noughties, nineties, uh, early noughties, when it was on British television and BBC Two, and I loved it. Mm. And then I got a friend who started watching it as well. Mm. And then she kept doing that. Well, I'm Buffy and you're Willow, and it got very, very. Oh, kill me now. Well, so I. <sighs> So I did the fi- I did the high school. I was in college. Yeah. So I've done. I've done half. I am definitely halfway through Buffy. It's worth. It's, it's worth going back. And also, you will not yet have gotten to the musical episode, which is just one of the best episodes of Telly ever made. It's so great. Um, but don't need to spend so much time talking about Buffy. Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Netflix uh, animated series Castlevania. Oh, yes. Have you watched? Yes. Is it not magnificent? It is magnificent. So, for those of you who don't know, um, this is an animated series on Netflix. I want to call it, I, I don't want to call it an anime because it's not an anime. Um, you know, it's it's a Western uh, car, It's a Western cartoon that has a lot of. The, the, 
has a lot of anime influences in its sort of animation style. Um, but it is based on the video game series of the same name, which is um, very sort of cheesy, gothic, horror, fighting Dracula, or yeah, all that. It's not a very complicated story. Um, but it's an absolutely tremendous... So it's based on that, reworked into a sort of new narrative where Dracula is trying to destroy the world because his human wife got burned at the stake and a vampire hunter by the name of Trevor Belmont has to get together a little squad and take Dracula down. Um, it is... It looks stunning. It, the animation is just brilliant. I am 100% here for um, adult-oriented animation. I love that that is growing and growing as a genre. Um, it's very funny. Trevor Belmont is voiced by the magnificent Richard Armitage. Um, he, and he has a wonderful chemistry with his um, his other two, his two little mates who go on his quest with him. Um, and also, when you get into the second and third series, there's lots of... Um, there's lots of little nods to other classic vampire fiction. So Carmilla is in it, or, or a version of Carmilla is in it as this very interesting sort of uh, alt, alt big bad character. Um, Varney gets a look in. Yes. Stuff like that. It's, it, it's so great. Um, I adore I adore it. And it gets very gory and uh, fairly sexy as well. So yeah, 10 out of 10 for Castaway. Um, uh, there's a new, there's a new series just come out, Castlevania Nocturne, which is based on other games in the series and is set during the French Revolution. And honestly, I haven't been able to get into it as much. Yeah, it it's got a it's taken a new direction with the visual style, which uh, kind of each to their own. Uh, it hasn't gripped me in the same way. I think the main issue is the characters are not as the the characters are not as engaging and funny as they are in the first one. And also I think it suffers by the fact that you've kind of used up all of your good lit vampires <laughs> in the first two series. Yeah. You need to paste yourselves. Yeah. Paste yeah. Yourselves. It might be good. I mean, I would be down for Vampire Rogues Pierre or something like that. <laughs> Maybe if they lean harder into the French Revolution side of things. Yeah, yeah, do that. Be a good laugh, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, shall we, shall we, shall we round things off with a trivial argument? Yeah. What should we trivially argue about? Sexiest, sexiest Drac. Sexiest Dracula. Yeah. Sexiest on-screen Dracula. Yeah, that's all going to argue about it. It's Roxburgh. It's Richard Roxburgh in, um, it's Richard Roxburgh in Van Helsing. He looks amazing through every scene. His, he, he, his whole vibe, the confidence, the scenery chewing is just exquisite. Um, you know, Oldman is only sexy for about... 20% of the film, if that. I might be a bit generous in the, in Coppola. So, yeah, it's Roxburgh. I, I, Honourable mention to Kate back in sale in Underworlds. <laughs> and teenage, 14-year-old Chris is shouting at me from the past, going, what are you doing? How could you try and get back in sale like this? But, yeah, no, sorry, it's Roxburgh. No, I, I'm team Gary Oldman and his weirdly pale nipple. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, that's a good band name weirdly pale nipple you should write that down uh, it's, I'm going to record it it's great <laughs> um, I think I get what you said about Roxburgh but the perform the complete performance of Roxburgh is, is high camp yeah it's just all high camp I love I understand when he's a monster towards the end he's just being hunted mm. but I love Gary Oldman's pre-scene performance where he's like doing way too much and stabbing the cross and screaming mm. and yeah 
I love that, but I also love the shady, shady, petty little man he is when Hawk is in the castle when he's walking around <laughs> licking his razor. Right. I... Come on, we're not we're not gonna seriously suggest that massive bum shaped hairstyle drag is in any way sexy, are we? No, that's not sexy, but okay. the ability to have that level of pettiness and Daphnis is. But of course the but of course the trivia argument is sexiest Dracula, not best Dracula. I I okay, but if I had a choice, yeah. Old and every time. Okay. And but if we are doing sexiest Richard Roxburgh, mm-hmm. it's when he played Sherlock Holmes. Ooh. With the fabulous scout Ian Hart as John Watson. Hmm? So there you go. See Roxburgh has never really appealed to me in anything else. He kind of has, he had a unique moment in Van Helsing in the way that Viggo Mortensen has never been as hot as he is, as he was when he was Aragorn. You know how when you see him and other stuff and it's just like, oh, is that what you really look like? Well. Did you not? I, well, he really does a lot of work with Cronenberg, so your sexy level's got to go down. (laughs) In, in a history of violence, I thought, yeah, okay, yeah. They're very fleshy. Yeah. <laughs> Bit gooey. Um, body horror, maybe not the thing. Um, no. Depends on the body. <laughs> yeah, no. 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 There we go, guys. I've derailed you. Yeah, you have. I was right at the end, but I have derailed you. You have. So now we can go, what are you nominating for me to read? Okay, so next month's book, um, I have chosen The Cruel Sea. By Nicholas Montserrat, um, uh, the the I, be, I believe it's even it was even marketed it's even marketed as the great novel of war at sea. It is a um, yeah. Do I need a, do you need anything more? I think that's it. So let's just. So that's all from us for this episode. We will be back in a month to discuss The Cruel Sea and all sorts of related uh, media. Yeah, so you can follow us on Instagram at Things We Read Instead. If you've got any feedback, email us at thingsweredinstead at gmail.com. And please do send feedback. I think I would like to have a, and uh, I'd like to have a listener's comments section in the next one. And um, validation, obviously. Oh yeah, um, if you didn't enjoy it, then sod off. Uh, there will be a Patreon with a chat section at some point. We'll see you in a month. Goodbye. Bye.